Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and our Sunday School Hour. We're going to present this lesson on September the 10th of 2023. Now, we're going to look at this particular section of the book of Galatians. And there's a little bit to me of a sad note that's going on here. Um, you, you see the heartache of Paul and the division. You know, uh, when the Bible talks about believers being one, and in John chapter 17, that's what Jesus prayed for. There's something sad whenever true believers, true believers now, uh, separate. Now, sometimes that separation may be necessary, but that doesn't mean that it should be easy, and that doesn't mean that it should be uh, something that we rejoice over. This is something that is tough. And Paul is grieving over his separation from the uh, Galatians over this doctrinal error. Okay, so we're going to look at Galatians 4, 12 through uh, 16 in just a moment here. But um, think about this. Paul wrote this letter out of love. And he may have seemed a little testy. He may have seemed a little irritated. And he was, but at the same time, if he didn't care about the Galatian believers, he would have just left it alone. You know, sometimes love demands that we get involved. Love demands that we take a risk. And Paul was taking a risk here because the Galatians had so, um, I guess we would say, sided with the Judaizers who were uh, giving a false gospel and false doctrine, a doctrine that really mattered because this was about salvation. And, um, you know, when that happens, then Paul couldn't endorse them or just say, ah, no big deal, it doesn't really matter. And at the same time, he couldn't leave it alone either. And we find that our lack of love sometimes causes us to say things don't matter. And uh, we just kind of move on like they're no big deal. And sometimes our lack of love means that we just don't even confront anything or express what the truth might be. Uh, Jesus had said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And so Paul was burdened to make sure that they knew the truth. Uh, going on here, it says, he not only did it out of love, but he wanted to bring correction now, this next part's real important, as well as reconciliation, reconciliation. And Paul had not changed, and he still wanted fellowship with these people that he had led to the Lord, that he had preached the gospel to. And um, now that fellowship is broken, he longed for that once again. He wasn't just ambivalent or apathetic about it. Now, the Galatians had moved doctrinally, in their, and in their love for Paul. They felt differently about him. And this, uh, uh, this thing here about the circumcision thing was not just a little bit of a difference of opinion. We call those things tertiary doctrines. That literally means third level doctrines. In other words, um, we have some things that really matter, some things that are essential, some things that if you don't believe them, you're not a Christian, okay? And uh, people say from time to time that, uh, well, you know, we all just 
serve the same God, we just call him by different names, okay? I dare you. Ask a Muslim if Allah is the same as Yahweh. And uh, they may, uh, you know, if you find a more liberal Muslim, they may say, yeah, I, I think so. God is God. And then ask them, see, I've done this. Ask them, is Allah, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a trinity? And they will get very angry and very adamant in their denial of that. Ask them if Jesus Christ is God. And they will get very angry uh, about that and very adamant that that is not the case because even they know that it's not just that we have a different name, it's a different God. The God of the Bible said in uh, the book of Genesis, let us create man in our image. And uh, yet the Bible is clear there's one God. How do you have one God with uh, uh, plural like that, referring to himself in the plural like that? Well, we come to understand as we get the full revelation of God that God is one God, but he is in three persons that are co-equal in their nature and their attributes. We call it the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, that's very difficult to understand and it's uh, difficult sometimes to explain and people come up with some crazy explanations for it, but that's how God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And any God, quote unquote, that does not reveal themselves that way is not the true and the living God. It's not the God of the Bible after all. And so there are some things like that that we can't say, well, we're all the same and it really doesn't matter. No, it really does matter because if you are bowing before Allah, you are bowing before a different God than the God presented in the Bible. And we could go on and on with a lot of illustrations over that. So that would be one example of uh, why fellowship would be broken and why we can't just say, oh, it doesn't matter. Uh, imagine coming in here on Sunday morning and let's say that we've got Hindus and we've got Buddhists and we've got Muslims and uh, all kinds of things like that. And then we say, let's all stand together and we'll pray to our God. Well, automatically, you've got tension and you've got dissension in there because who is the true God? Who is the right God? And you're going to have different opinions about all of that. And so... We worship together because we believe together that the true and the living God is the God of the Bible, the creator of heaven and earth, who has revealed himself to us as the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we develop all of that, we know that the Father is the one that is credited in the Bible with coming up with the plan of redemption, and the Son, Jesus Christ, is the one who carried out that redemption on the cross, taking the punishment and the wrath of God uh, in our place. And then it is the Holy Spirit that draws people and brings people under conviction uh, to the point of where they trust Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. I heard one uh, pastor that I was under say it like this, with the Father I was saved before the foundation of the world. With the Son, I was saved when he said, it is finished 
on Calvary, and with the Holy Spirit, I was saved in 1982, on the day that I came to trust Christ as Savior and Lord. And we've got to believe these things, or we've got major issues and major trouble, because we can't all be right, can we? And so um, we can both be wrong, but we can't both be right. And so we uh, unify together around the authority that we have, not of a man, not of our feelings, not of our thoughts, not of our visions or our dreams. The Bible is our authority as the Word of God. Now, the Galatians had drifted away from the truth of Scripture. And so Paul is calling them to come back to the truth of the Word of God and to come back to uh, where they could have fellowship around the most basic thing of all. Now, uh, let me think how I want to say this. Perhaps the most basic thing of all, I mean, we could argue, maybe it's the Bible. If we don't have the Bible, we don't have any agreement at all. Maybe we could say the most basic thing of all is God, who God is. And if we're not worshiping the same God, then we don't really have any fellowship. But I think Paul would contend that in the midst of all of this, if you don't have the gospel right, none of the other things matter. If you don't have the gospel right and salvation right, then it doesn't really matter what you think about the Word of God. If you don't have the gospel right, then it doesn't really matter how you conceive of God or what you believe about God, because the gospel is the main thing, and that's what brings us into fellowship with God. And that's where the Galatians had followed the Judaizers outside of the truth of the gospel of the grace of God, and so uh, now we have major problems. So this was a vital issue tied to the gospel and salvation. And Paul saw this as a divisive doctrinal difference. We cannot have fellowship outside of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can't act like it's all the same or it doesn't matter and some people, well, they think you have to be baptized to be saved. And, and we don't necessarily agree with that. No, it's really all the difference in the world, isn't it? It's heaven or it's hell. It's that serious about the whole thing. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. We're told in the Bible that we're saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's the matter of whether we're in the family, whether we're true Christians, or whether we're not, because you can't be halfway in between. Now listen to what he says. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preach the gospel to you at the first, at the very beginning, verse 14. And my trial, which was in my flesh, and by that it didn't mean a jury trial or a trial before a judge. He means a burden that he has to bear. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise, meaning overlook and, or reject, but you received me as an angel of God even as Christ Jesus. Now, what then was the blessing that you enjoyed? For I hear that you witness that if 
or pardon me, for I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And there you have it. There you have it. This relationship, we'll talk about it in a moment, that was so close, so amazing, so personal. Now, all of a sudden, they don't think that much of Paul. Their feelings toward Paul has changed because their beliefs had changed and differed from Paul. Have you ever noticed how that happens? And you can have two people that are best friends, they get along so well, and then one of them trusts Christ as their Savior and Lord, and the relationship falls apart. Not because the Christian doesn't want it, but because the non-Christian can't handle the, the new believer, the new person in Christ. You're not the same anymore. Marriages have fallen apart because of that. Now, Jesus warned us of that, saying that a man's enemies will be of his own household. In other words, we can't get along with everybody on this. It's not that we might separate from them, but so often they say, you know, bye to us because they don't want anything to do with us and our Christian lifestyle because they hate our God and they hate the way that we live. It happens a lot of times and it's a very difficult thing. That's what Paul is talking about here. And uh, this is the, certainly the thing that Jesus had predicted and that Christians have been living out ever since. So um, think about this. Number one, Paul brings up a thing that I call the strange role reversal. Brethren, I urge you to become like me. And we would expect that. Paul walked with the Lord and he had said on occasion, imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. And if that's the case, then it's perfectly safe to follow him and to learn. Baby Christians learn like uh, human babies learn, and babies in the wild learn. They learn by imitating their parents. They learn by following the example of their parents. Same thing is true when someone gets saved. They don't know how to understand the Bible. They don't know how to live for Christ. They don't know what's wise or what's foolish. They don't know what's good or what's bad. They don't know what's helpful or what is harmful. And so they watch and they listen and they get advice. And maybe they can't explain everything, but they find certain people, hopefully it's you, that they can trust. And so they grow in the Lord and later they find these things out for themselves. If you were to watch a lion cub, they uh, begin to wrestle with their mom, especially, sometimes dad is a little testy. They uh, follow her, they watch her, they wrestle with their brothers and sisters and they learn how to take down prey, they learn how to hunt. And then through practical experience, as they get a little older, they learn sometimes that the horns on a buffalo can be pretty painful and uh, they can learn that some animals are just way too fast or uh, they're mean or hard to handle or maybe they don't taste good, uh, things like that. And pretty soon they become an expert. And the same thing is true in the world of the believer. We learn to imitate other people. We learn to trust other people. And that may be all we have when we first start. But over time and over experience, we learn the Word of God. We learn the truth of the Word of God. And Paul was saying, isn't it interesting that now we find ourselves divided by a doctrinal chasm here? And he says, I want you to become like me. 
I want you to imitate me again. You don't really know what you're doing. You don't really know where you're headed. You don't really know what the Judaizers are doing to you. They're destroying the very basis of your faith with their legalism. And then he says, and by the way, become like me because I became like you. You know, Paul was famous for his saying, I become all things to all men that are by all means I might win some. And he used his freedom in Christ and he quit being the legalistic Pharisee and he quit doing all of the things that he was doing by, excuse me, the letter of the law. And he recognized that Christ had paid his sin debt in full. And so now he is free and he's free from the ceremonial law. He's free from the dietary restrictions. He's free from the, uh, the social things that they would do. And uh, he may still participate in them because he was, after all, a Jew. But the difference was he didn't do it in pride. He didn't do it in arrogance. He didn't do it as proof of his salvation. He didn't do it to gain points with God. He did it just simply for fellowship and to remember that Jesus Christ was a sacrifice for his sin. So you can see that a Jewish believer could participate in Passover, not in order to be saved, not in order to be righteous, but to remember and memorialize Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So Paul would do that, but when he was with the Gentiles, there wasn't any sense of forcing them to become Jews. In fact, they had a whole conference in Jerusalem about that. And the, uh, uh, the direction of the apostles and the leaders of the church was simply this. Gentiles do not have to become Jews. But the Judaizers are saying, nope, unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. And so Paul says, look, this is interesting. I was the Jew. I was the Pharisee. I was the up and coming person in the Jewish religion. And yet I laid all of that aside to fellowship with you and to bring you the good news of Christ. Now you have gone and you're trying to become Jews. You're trying to become what I used to be. And he said, this is, of course, never going to work. Become like me, for I became like you. This is a great irony that they're reversing roles. And so uh, the Pharisee is becoming like a Gentile and the Gentiles are becoming like Pharisees. And the sad thing is that is to the detriment of the gospel and to the detriment of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now the Gentiles are becoming legalistic and they're becoming self-righteous and they are uh, looking at all of this, that we're, we're better than you and we know something that you don't know, to the point that they started saying, well, you know, Paul may not know everything that he has claimed to know, and he may not be uh, all of the hot stuff that we thought he was. And so it hurt their relationship, okay? Now, number two, let's think about this, the relationship at the beginning that they had. Where did it start and what had it fallen from? That helps us a little bit to understand it. These Galatians and the Apostle Paul were not just casual friends. They were not just the kind of people, um, we've got friends that we haven't seen in a decade or more. Okay? And we still contact maybe over social media or something like that. But we're not as close 
as we used to be. In fact, this past weekend, Labor Day, we saw some friends that we probably haven't seen in, uh, since Jeremy and Chelsea got married, and that would be about 12 years ago. Now, the good thing is there wasn't any bad blood between us or anything like that, and we just picked up where we left off and had a lot of laughter and a lot of fun and a lot of reminiscing and all that kind of stuff that you have. And um, there are some friends that are like that, and there are other friends that you can't. Now, Paul, with the Galatians, they're close, close friends. They really love each other. At least they did at the beginning. They found great joy in each other. They helped each other. In fact, as we read through this, Paul needed their help, and they certainly needed his help just in different levels. Paul needed some physical help, and they helped him on that, and they loved him. And uh, they needed spiritual help, and Paul provided them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it brought great joy into their lives, and it was the basis of their fellowship. So the relationship at at the beginning, he uh, says to them that as they are thinking about uh, their life, and he's calling to memory, you have not injured me at all. Paul hadn't changed. Nothing had had that. It was not like Paul's going, oh, really? Well, maybe there's something to what you say. He didn't hesitate for a minute, for a second on that. He knew what the truth of the gospel was because he had received it from Christ himself. And he says, you know that because of physical infirmity, I preach the gospel to you at the first. And And my trial which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel, an angelos of God, even as Christ Jesus. What does that mean? It means that the Galatians were not persecuting Paul. The Judaizers were. The Judaizers would follow Paul around wherever it would be. This was not just a Galatian problem. This is a problem in Rome. This is a problem in Corinth. This is a problem anywhere that he went. And these people would follow, uh, follow Paul around trying to discredit and destroy him and his ministry and anybody that would try to follow him. Now, give the Galatians credit. They hadn't turned on Paul to that degree, and that's what he means. You haven't injured me. I'm still the same as I was, and I'm doing what I did when I first met you, doing the same things that you were so excited about at one time. And uh, they refused to enter into active persecution of Paul, although they did have their doubts about him, and he had fallen kind of in their esteem down a, a few notches. And uh, apparently when Paul says, I preach the gospel to you because of illness, apparently Paul on one of his journeys fell ill and he was taken to the region of Galatia. Remember, it's a region, not a city or a town. And uh, he convalesced there. And while he was there, he got to meet these people who trusted the Lord. And when they would question him about who he was and why he was here and what all's going on, he shared the gospel with them and uh, they got saved. And uh, we don't know what the illness was. We don't know what it happened to be. Some think it was uh, malaria. And notice how Paul said, you didn't despise me or reject me. I would think of it like this since we just came through uh, COVID. Uh, Paul would say, you didn't quarantine yourselves from me or you didn't quarantine me. 
they actually would be around him in spite of his illness and they would listen to him and they came to know the Lord uh, through all of that. Now you see the sovereignty of God. What if Paul had not been on a missionary journey? What if he had not been obedient to the Lord? And what if he had not fallen ill at that particular time in that particular place? And uh, all of that resulted in all of these people getting saved. And so they received him and they received his message. Now notice it says, you receive me as an angel. The word, the Greek word there is angelon, and it literally means a messenger of God. So I don't think we have to take this and say, oh, they thought Paul was a supernatural spirit or anything. I think what he means there is just the simple, literal, plain meaning of the word. You receive me as a messenger from God. And he said, and it was even more than that, you received me even as Christ in the same way that you would have received Christ. And so uh, this is something that we all ought to do with one another. You think about how Jesus talked about when you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've what? Done it unto me. And so we need to treat each other like we would treat Christ. And we need to talk about each other like we would talk about Christ. And we need to... Uh, be kind to one another and we need to be ministering to one another because we're doing it for Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying here. You treated me as if I were Christ. Not that they worshiped him, but that they loved him, received him and followed him and received his message. Now, thirdly, notice the joy the Galatians felt still looking back at how it used to be. And in verse 15, it says, what then was the blessing that you enjoyed? Okay, blessing, that's a positive word. Enjoy, that's a positive word. For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Now, that leads me to believe that I have something in common with the Apostle Paul. Maybe his problem was not malaria. Uh, Maybe it was something that had affected his eyesight. Seems to be a problem for him because... um, He does say later on in the uh, book of Galatians here that um, he writes and he says, see, I'm writing in such large letters. Well, that's a sign of somebody that has bad eyesight. Now, he said you enjoyed this blessing. Blessing is the Greek word makarios, the same one that Jesus used when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, makarios. And it's a word that means happy, blessed, and to be envied, joyful in all of that. And so you have a lifestyle that other people go, man, I wish I could have that happiness. I wish I could be joyful like you. I wish I could have the favor of God on my life like you do. That's the way believers are supposed to live. Not that we're putting down other people, but it should cause them to want what we've got. And I'm afraid so many times, by the time we say you need what I've got, they're going, not interested. And uh, Paul said, no, this is the kind of thing that when they received the gospel, when they blessed him, when they cared for him, when they helped him, and when they heard him, that they were happy. They enjoyed that blessing. And other people saw the difference that was in uh, their life. And they were joyful at that time. 
And I don't get the idea that around the Judaizers, they were particularly joyful. Now, they may have listened to them and they may have grudgingly said, well, maybe you're right about this, so we'll get circumcised and become Jews and do all of that. But there wasn't any joy in it, not like when Paul uh, first proclaimed it to them. And uh, they had an exceptional love for Paul. Paul's infirmity may have included, as we said, eyesight trouble. And that verse I made reference to is Galatians 6.11. See with what large letters I am writing uh, to you with my own hand. And it could imply just an expression of love. I give my right arm for you, you know, we might say. And maybe that expression, you would have given your eyes for me, maybe just an expression of love. But I think there's more to it than that. They would have traded places with Paul because they loved him so much and they found so much joy in him and in the gospel that he presented. Can you identify with that? Don't you have fond feelings for the person that led you to Christ or maybe baptized you, the person that witnessed to you, the person that prayed for you? Don't, don't you have fond feelings for them? And uh, that's what is happening here. And Paul is saying, I loved you and you love me. That makes me think of Barney. I don't want to think about that. I'd rather think of something better. But it is true. The love they had was mutual with each other. And Paul is hurting and grieving over the fact that it is gone because of this doctrinal drift. And number four, the strain and the heartbreak caused by false doctrine. In my family, when I was a little kid, my grandmother and several of my aunts and their families left the Baptist church to become Seventh-day Adventist and trust in something in addition to the Lord Jesus Christ. Caused a big split in our family. And because it was over the gospel, it was over the issue of salvation, my grandmother looked at my dad, her own son, and told him to his face that he was the mark of the beast. Hard to have fellowship. Hard to have fellowship in that situation. And so this happened here. And Paul says, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth. Boy, that happens sometimes and we cannot sacrifice truth for relationships. We cannot compromise the truth for the sake of people liking us or being our friend or anything like that. Now be careful again, Make sure that if you are going to divide fellowship with someone, make sure it's over something that matters, like the gospel, but not over like, how is the Lord Jesus going to return? You both agree that he's going to return, but some believe in a premillennial return, some believe in a postmillennial return. I've got friends that are postmillennialists. They're saved. We don't disagree that Jesus is coming. That's the cardinal doctrine. We just disagree on how. And by the way, they have a right to be wrong. But um, nonetheless, we can fellowship over those. I can fellowship with a true believer who was sprinkled when they were baptized. Now, they're wrong about that, or I wouldn't be a Baptist. But at the same time, they get the gospel right. We're brothers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are a ton of other things that can happen like that. And then there are others that just say, no, we, we can't fellowship together like this. How can two walk together unless they are agreed, the book of Amos says. And so uh, Paul is saying, have I become your enemy because I've preached and told you the truth? Well, that'll happen sometimes if you stand for what's right and you stand for the truth. 
Don't do it arrogantly. Don't do it in pride. Don't do it and just don't be a jerk. But um, when you do that, it may be that you don't really have to separate from them. They separate from you. I get the feeling that's kind of what's going on here. And uh, Paul had not changed and his message had not changed. And uh, the coming of the Judaizers had changed the Galatians and it had affected not only the way they viewed salvation, but even the way that they viewed Paul. This is all very sad. And you see them now becoming suspicious. Uh, At first, they just enjoyed Paul and they loved him and they learned from him and they imitated him. Now they're just not quite so sure. And uh, they were misled. The Judaizers, it becomes clear as you read through the Bible, especially the book of Acts, they lied about Paul. They wanted to hurt him, harm him, discredit him, and they wanted to neutralize him as a force for God. Acts 25, 7 says, When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem, Judaizers, stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. They were false witnesses. Just like there were false witnesses at the trial of Jesus, there were false witnesses who would stand up against Paul and say things about him that were not true, ascribe motives to him that were not true because they knew that people would tend to believe them. I've been the victim of that myself. You have too. It's a terrible thing when you really can't defend yourselves and people choose to believe the lie instead of believing the truth. Kind of a funny story about that. Uh, My dad was, and and mom both were very poor when they were growing up. And uh, there was a time when my dad was in first grade and he was on the playground and he found a box of of crayons. And uh, when he, uh, you know, picked them up and they didn't seem to belong to anybody, and he didn't have them and they couldn't afford them. He took them into the classroom and the uh, teacher came and said, Marvin, why do you have those crayons? Where did you get those? With the implication he had stolen them. I think he was probably guilty of doing that at previous times. And uh, he said, I found them on the playground. You can ask my brother Edwin. He was with me and they went and got my uncle Edwin and asked him, where did he get the crayons and my uncle uh, just says, I don't know, something like that. My dad uh, held a grudge against him that for a long time. And so they said, now tell the truth. Where'd you get those crayons? And my dad, as a little six-year-old boy, finally said, okay, I stole them. And then the teacher goes, I thought so, and uh, took the crayons. And they believed the lie, but they didn't believe the truth. And we were back in his hometown one time, and uh, dad was probably... 40-something maybe, and he said, I want to go to that teacher and I want to get my crayons back. You know, he still held to it. And I said, is that the truth, what you said when you were a little kid? And he goes, yeah, it was, but she wouldn't believe me when I told the truth. This is what we find so often uh, in Paul and other people's lives. People don't really believe the truth, but boy, will they ever latch on to a lie. And that's what had happened here with the Galatians and with everyone and in other situations in Paul's life. You can understand that. So there's a time for broken fellowship that's righteous. There's another time 
when of course it is not. And it's never the desirable thing. The desirable thing is for us to come together around the truth of the word and the truth of the gospel and uh, be unified in Christ. Here's our conclusion. Broken fellowship is a serious matter uh, not to be taken lightly. Unity is a priority. In John 17, 11, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, O-N-E, even as we are one. Now, however, division caused by false doctrine, people with unscrupulous motives, uh, well, it mandated that there be a separation. Because when you read these verses about love and acceptance and that kind of thing, you can't leave these out and we'll be through. Romans 16, 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Avoid them. And so... Um, as we see in Paul's letter to the Galatians, the goal is not to separate, but to bring correction. And with that correction, to bring that elusive reconciliation. There's always seemingly a reason to divide, but most of it is insignificant and petty. Sometimes it is over truth and you can't help but divide. But so many times it's more over hurt feelings, what you think somebody thinks of you, what you heard they said about you, things that could be and should be worked out. And then some of the things that we disagree on that are not real clear in the Bible, but the major things we've got to be rock solid on. And so Paul is not only trying to win them back as friends, and fellowship with them. He's also wanting more than that for them to be right with God and straight with the scripture, particularly on the gospel. We've got to get the gospel right. And sadly, so many don't. Okay. Well, thank you for your time and may the Lord bless you. And uh, I pray for you that you will have a lot of joy in your life, that you'll be solid in the things of God, especially in the gospel and share the Lord Jesus with other people. So we'll see you next week, Lord willing, and may the Lord bless you in the meantime.